if you want to have success in music, it's really about promotion. It's like this should be the main job, not the production. Like, oh, at least find a good balance between these two. But yeah, most musicians just neglect promotion. I think it's just about posting a couple of times and all that stuff. But that's just not true. Like it's a lot of work and your promotion should be the main focus besides production. Hey, this is Jason Tonioli. I'm a piano player that grew up believing it wasn't possible to earn a living and support a family with music. I've proven that idea was wrong and have met hundreds of other people who have found success with their music. This podcast features stories of musicians who have found their own personal version of success and fulfillment in both music and life. This podcast is meant to inspire musicians and help them believe in their abilities and motivate them to share their talents with others. This is the Successful Musicians Podcast. Welcome to the show today. We're so excited to have Tobias, my friend from Germany. I'm going to say his last name and probably just destroy it, but he just told me that if I'm an American, it's okay. I can say Tobias and it's, he'll forgive me, but it's Tobias Ruscher. So anybody that speaks German can laugh at my pronunciations there. But Tobias has one of the most interesting stories of anybody I know when it comes to sharing how they ended up in their music career. So I've never seen anybody play guitar. It blew my mind to me when I saw you first play your guitar. He does fingerstyle guitar. And I did not know you could do that with a musical instrument. And I know you've been a gigging musician. You've performed all over the world. Your music was super popular in Asia. You told me that you're a kind of a retired guitarist now, but I don't believe you. As good as you play, you've had over 50 million views on YouTube. So what I find interesting is you've kind of gone through this whole career path of a successful gigging musician that's done well, and then you've transitioned and you did Fingerstyle Guitar Academy, I think is what you called it, when you had all these videos. You definitely need to look up Tobias's videos on Fingerstyle Guitar. And then you've kind of transitioned into this almost like the Yoda now that coaches people on YouTube and you're doing coaching and have a fan base pro academy type of thing. And then I know you travel all over the world. So when I met Tobias, it was actually in Costa Rica on a mastermind trip. And this guy had come from Bali and you just told me you'd been in South Africa. We were just talking about river rafting before this and about crocodiles. Not my kind of river rafting, but welcome to the show, Tobias. Thank you so much. That might have been the most different introduction you've ever had from anybody trying to make up a bio for you, right? <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, you did an amazing job. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tobias, maybe fill in the blanks of how did you end up deciding, hey, I want to be a musician, and I know you're making enough money as a musician, that, as a guitarist. How did that happen? And just tell us how you've got to where you are today. It was funny because I never really was interested in music back then. And all of a sudden, at the age of 14, I wanted to play the guitar. <laughs> I just wanted to learn it. My parents thought um, it's not really a good idea to get me a guitar because I got to lose interest pretty soon. But it was the best they could do. And I was playing like five, six hours each and every day. And then I was like, I want to become a rock star. And I totally focused on, yeah, the electric guitar back then. And I had my own band. So we did all the mistakes most musicians <laughs> do. But we were semi-successful in our area. It was really a good experience. Eventually, yeah, we failed because we did many common mistakes. A lot of musicians do. Then I actually planned to work inside the music industry. And I started working at uh, Warner Music as well. But then I focused on when I really discovered modern percussive fingerstyle, I was like, okay, I really want to try it again with the music. And I went all in and uh, marketed my music on YouTube. I had great success with YouTube. So I reached a big fan base. 
which enabled me then really to, yeah, make a full-time living as a musician, as a solo independent musician who can't even sing. I mean, I just can't play the guitar and I smack my guitar, but that's it. So I can't even sing, but still I was able to have a successful music career. And then more and more people wanted to learn how to play like this. And then I started my first own business, so to say, an online fingerstyle guitar academy. Yeah, then I even helped musicians to market themselves so I built a new program, Fanbase Pro, which basically shares all the knowledge, all my learnings and all that stuff to help upcoming independent artists to really yeah, grow a fan base and monetize it as well. Because I think we're just living in the best times ever. Like it has never been easier to really grow a big fan base and make a living from your music. 20 years ago, you had all these gatekeepers. You didn't have all these tools and opportunities to reach people from around the world. So crazy times we're living in. So that's my uh, story in a nutshell. You talk about you had success as a musician. I'm just curious, now that you've kind of been through multiple transitions and kind of you cycled or you reinvented yourself, it sounds like multiple times in the music industry. What do you define as success now looking back? Or did that change of what you thought was success to you over time? Yeah, of course, the definition of success is important because in the beginning, I didn't even think about making an income with music. So in the beginning, it was just about getting my music out there and heard, playing in front of people who come to listen to my music live and all that stuff, people who follow me and all that stuff. So this was my first definition of success. And that's totally fine. And later on, I was like, it would be amazing if I don't have to work a nine to five job. Yeah, it would be amazing if I can really live for, off my music. And this was then my second definition, which I reached as well. So it's basically just to make a living. So what you would normally do in a regular job, like, but just with your music. So that was my second definition of success. Got it. And I know you're doing a lot of coaching of people now, and you've helped with YouTube coaching as well. What are kind of the big mistakes or expectations, I guess, as these newer people are coming into the industry? They have these ideas in their head, maybe. I mean, what's some of those big mistakes you see made? Definitely thinking that there are a lot of overnight success. So it's pretty much the tip of the iceberg. So all the well-known famous artists, you don't really know what they did before that. Oftentimes it involves like years of hustling and all that stuff. And then they pop up more or less and they are famous and everyone is like, okay, they just became famous overnight. So you do have to put in the work. It can take time, like until you really, as well, the algorithms pick up. It's like, what is it called? The bamboo tree story. Like, you know, it takes really long time until they really build the roots, but you don't see anything. And all of a sudden they start to grow really quickly, but you didn't see like how long it took until really the roots develop. And that's the same thing. And one of the biggest mistakes I see again and again is that so many musicians basically just, they put the main focus on the production side of things. So they hide in the studio for a year. They invest 10,000 grand in a great production and all that stuff. And then they launch the new album and usually nothing happens. You know, they post a couple of times on Facebook, but of course nobody cares. And so to really understand that if you want to have success in music, it's really about promotion. It's like this should be the main job, not the production. Like at least find a good balance between these two. But yeah, most musicians just neglect promotion or think it's just about posting a couple of times and all that stuff. But that's just not true. It's a lot of work and your promotion should be the main focus besides production. And my recommendations don't even focus on producing an album and all that stuff. 
It's still a thing. I think it's kind of outdated. It's so much better to launch single after single because you always have these attention spikes. And with an album launch, you have one attention spike, more or less, but then it fades off. And then you cannot really promote the other songs of the album because most people know it. So it's much smarter to do that. But still, so many upcoming musicians, they just hide away and invest everything in creating their first album. I think it's a big mistake. So go out as soon as possible. Make yourself seen, even if it's not perfect, release demo versions, release like, I don't know, record yourself when you just jam around or rehearse and all that stuff. Let people in your world and show yourself out there. And then you will have a lot of success later on when you really launch your music. Great advice. The more people I talk to that are in this industry, and it's not even just the music industry, but sharing those stories and sharing that journey as you evolve as a musician or as a, it's almost like you're a character. People want to kind of come along and be part of that evolution as your character goes through hard times. I mean, I think a lot of people sometimes are hesitant to share the mistakes or their shortcomings, you know, the bumps and bruises. And I think listen to a lot of people that have achieved, we'll call it success or famous even, when they've opened up and they've shared that hard thing they went through is when their more fans really bonded with them and felt like they're part of that. And they're more invested in the story and in the album if you spent time doing that. Be vulnerable and yeah, release even like you said, or just share your vulnerable moments and all that stuff that will build a closer connection to your fans. So it's yeah, really important to create this bond. Then they will be super fans, diehard friends that will support you and will pretty much buy everything from you. The more you're around these really high profile musicians, you realize that they are just like we are. They go to the same bathroom we go to. I mean, they're, they're just <laughs> normal people, just like you and me. There's definitely differences maybe in their work ethic, or maybe they've had a break or something. But in general, I think you've been around several of them, I know, and they have a little bit of, they're pleasant to be around. People want to spend time around them. But most of the time, it's because they're nice and they're just good people in general. Absolutely. It's very rare that I think you find somebody who call it a diva or somebody that's unkind or not appreciative of others that is going to last very long. Mm, mm. Call it a successful, high profile person because nobody's going to want to be around them. Especially if they're independent artists, you know, if you have a big label that does everything for you and put you on this podest or however you call it, that's a different game. You might have a different behavior than when you really go through all this stuff yourself. Then you have as well a much deeper bond with your fans, I would say. You talked about these different definitions of success. And I mean, I think a lot of people think about high profile people that, oh, that's the success. I want to be famous or whatever, or I want to be motivated by money. The happiness factor, you're curious your thoughts on this. I've found that people that are motivated by the money or the fame usually aren't happy long term once they achieve it, because that's not really what focused. I mean, there's, I think there's this fulfillment factor that in a lot of ways, I think more important of a word or a thing to focus on is how do I find joy and fulfillment? Yeah. What's your experience with that? Because you've kind of evolved. And my guess is you find more joy and happiness in helping others and seeing others succeed now than even maybe in your own success, right? Oh, that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's super gratifying when you really hear success stories of your students and people you helped and they have great success. And that's like super fulfilling, super fulfilling. That is just amazing. And for me, it's like, yeah, like you said, the biggest success is actually or was for me that I could really turn my passion into a business like music. And it's like you are in a way famous. So you get your music out there. What you create is being heard. And then you can even live off your passion. This is super fulfilling. So just other words for it. But like if you can turn your passion 
into something that's really fulfilling, that helps other people, that touches other people. Like sometimes I get messages from people who listen to my music and they show me videos how their little kids enjoy my music, dance to it. Or some people wrote me that, for example, they went through depression phases, they thought about suicide and then my music helps or they lost friends or family members and all that stuff. And I'm just like, wow, like I would have never thought that my music touches these people. So I think it comes all together. So there are different variables that are super gratifying if you really can make a living or become an artist like that touches other people, influences other people's lives, in other people's lives, and even your own life. That's just like beautiful. Yeah. So if you could rewind the clock back, say 15 or 20 years, you know, to the younger you, or let's say that you were in front of a school class of kids that are just getting ready to graduate and go into like the university or college, what advice would you give them if they're kind of moving into that stage of life and you've got that maybe there's that one student in there that's thinking man i maybe i want to do i want to do music but mom and dad say it's a bad idea i mean what would you tell that person absolutely tell them to follow that dream seriously it sounds cheesy but it's like so important especially if you're young you can do so many mistakes you can start working when you're 35 or whatsoever like if you're young if you're in school or if you're studying Try everything out, but really do what you love. It's cliche, but follow your passion. If your thing is music, go all in. Like I said before, like times have never been better. Just give it a shot and go all in. And I'm so convinced that if you really go all in and you really focus on a thing, you will achieve it. You will achieve it. You can all the time get a regular job. It's like, and if you just think about the safety nets we have usually, Especially if you're, I don't know, living in the US, Canada or Europe or whatsoever. I mean, you have your family, you have friends, you have probably a social system, especially in Germany. It's like the government got you. There's not much you can do wrong. So give it a shot and really try to do what you want to do. And even if it doesn't work out after one or two years, then just pivot and do something different. But oh man, I would definitely, definitely motivate people to really do what they really, what they are burning for, what they're passionate about. I think so important in life. There are so many people who have regular jobs or hate their jobs. They hate Mondays and all that stuff. And I think it's just not worth it. This life is too special. Like go for what you dream of. Right. I read a quote or I heard it the other day. It said that most people die when they're 22 years old. <laughs> we just don't bury them until they're like 60 or 70 years old at the end of their life. I think that happens to so many people where they maybe they do go to school or those first three or four years after the world's at your fingertips. But you get in that corporate job and you hate it, like you talk about. And I think it's really sad to see how some people do feel stuck. You know, well, I got to wait for that pension or I just convince themselves all the reasons they can't do the thing. My background experience, I spent 12 years in the banking industry, right? I loved my time there. I became very familiar with spreadsheets and numbers. And so if I was in a classroom with you giving the advice, I would also tell people, don't be afraid to mess up and screw up and go for it. But... Don't underestimate the value of having a little bit of money or enough money to fund and speed the ability that you have to do that other thing. If I wanted to learn how to play fingerstyle guitar, if I just decide, hey, that's what I want to do, it might take me 10 years or more to do it. And I may not be able to feed my family with it. So I think there's that balance that as musicians, you have to be reasonable as well and not just have some dream and you know, because the dream doesn't feed you all the time. Finding that balance actually is important. I don't know if you knew this. I dropped out of the music program at the university after two days. Did I ever tell you that story? <laughs> no, no, I never heard it. <laughs> it was the best thing I ever did. Weber State University, and I thought, oh, because I'd written a lot of music, and I thought, oh, I want to do music. 
And my mom had said, you know, you can't feed your family with music. So you need to have a career and do business or be a doctor or lawyer or whatever. And so I went for two days to class. I'd already published music, amazingly. Even in high school, I had my first song officially published with a real publisher even. I have a $2.50 check on my wall to prove it. (laughs) So on that first day of class, they were requiring all of the students in the music program to go through the Music 101 class. And so on day one, we learned about whole notes and half notes. And we spent for like 45 minutes talking about that. And on day two, we were quarter notes and eighth notes. And we started to talk about 16th notes. And I was dying. I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is going to be horrible. So I went to the teacher and I asked him, I said, is there any way, because I wanted to be positive, but I really wanted to be in the orchestration class that was a third year class. And I'd passed like an AP music test. I'd already done all this stuff. Mm. And he looked at me, he says, you won't know what you have to go through the first two years and all of these other classes before you're allowed to be in the orchestration class. I explain, you know, I've done these other things. And so I thought, well, is there a way that I could even just take, could you do something that would be challenging to me? And maybe I could teach for five minutes and I could teach about 16th notes tomorrow for you. And he was so put off by that, that how dare anybody that doesn't have a PhD teach 16th notes. It wasn't like I was trying to discount what he was doing, but I left that and I just thought, you know what, I don't want to be stuck and told this is the way I have to do music and have it just suck the life and the joy out of it. I went over to the business department and I went into marketing. And as I look back, that was the best decision I made is I did not go into music and I didn't learn how to do it the official way. And had I not done that, there's no way I would have done music as a career. Interesting, interesting. The question is, if there is really a right way, for example, until today, I can't really read music. So I just did it in a completely different way. But I think just like, especially when you, for example, what I was thinking about, if you're in school or university, why not give it a shot for one or two years and really go all in? Because I think if you really get the right mentors, people who are there where you want to go, there are still a lot of opportunities to make it. And if you put in, let's say a year, and it didn't really work out for you, you can still switch and do something else. Or, of course, you can do as well music as a side thing as well. Like, because if you have a, let's say, a secure option, you can always work on it after work and all that stuff. So there are different ways. Yeah, I think that's a good way. And you need that. You need that passion and that power to be all in in order to make it. Because it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You have to put in the work. And usually you won't last that long if you're not really passionate about the journey. Because the journey is going to be hard and you can only endure if you have that grit. to endure. And this is only possible if you're passionate about it and be all in. Well, and there's people all the way. There's going to be the trolls or the people all the way along the way that tell you you're not good enough. And if you don't really love it, it's going to be really hard to stay motivated. One important thing, though, is I would say like a lot of musicians, for example, as well, when you're watching, I don't know, America's Got Talent and all these shows, you see a lot of people who think their music is amazing, but actually it's not. And that's really important thing as well, that you need to get external feedback because so many musicians think they are better than The weekend or whatsoever. They are the greatest next superstar, but in reality, they are really not. So it's like in business terms, you would need to find a product market fit. So you need to find people who really enjoy your music. I mean, it can be super crazy and super niche and all that stuff, but it's really important that you get some honest feedback out there and not just believe you're amazing and try everything. That's the recipe for failure, I would say. So that's really important as well that you listen to external feedback as well. Not your families and closest friends, but people who don't know you. And that's important as well, yeah. 
And I really think there's so many feedback places you can get it, whether you're playing live for somebody. And the school systems, I think, really give you that opportunity to learn from other people. As I was learning piano, I was a terrible piano student. So in high school, I didn't have the maturity to really want the feedback. And my piano teacher would tell me to fix things, but I wanted to do things my way. And I thought I knew better. And because of that, as I look back, I think, man, if I would have listened and practiced and done what I was told, the feedback my teacher could have given me would have been so valuable, but I was too dumb or immature, whatever. And I think that's a problem that a lot of us go through when we're first learning something is we think, oh, I can find it online or I can get on YouTube. And I do think a lot of people discount the value of a coach or a mentor or a teacher. They can't afford the teacher or the mentor or the program. And then maybe they do get in that. And I've seen people spend several thousand dollars sometimes going in these coaching programs. I mean, you probably had it happen to you where somebody maybe spends, we'll call it $2,000. I don't even know what your program costs, but $1,000, multiple thousands of dollars. And then they show up and listen to the person who's supposed to be the guru that's going to teach them. But then they're like, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and you're like, well, why'd you spend the money then? Absolutely. And as well, like the point to underestimate the power of learning from someone who is there where you want to be. And the thing is, it's so valuable to follow. And it's so important as well to focus on the opportunity costs. For example, you think like, oh, well, that program costs, let's say, 2,000 bucks. That's too expensive, okay? But now imagine your lost opportunity cost. Maybe an album launch makes you five grand now, but if you would have taken the coaching, it would have done like, I don't know, 50 grand or something like this. It's like it can be more costly not to invest in your career, in your passion, because of the income you're not earning, okay, or the success you're not having. And this is actually what most people don't really see. They only see, for example, a price tag and they're like, oh, that's too expensive. But they don't know that they are losing so much money more in the next few months because they don't implement the strategies. They don't have the right systems and all that stuff. And this is what I learned myself. And this is just what I see so often out there. Like it's really an investment that makes more back in the long run. When I first started out, as I look back on like Facebook and the old marketing style, when I was at the bank, It was right when the internet was coming into play. So I actually helped my bank build the first website they had for their mortgage department. So, I mean, it was really fun because I came in this time where you had billboards, TV, radio, and junk mail that we could send. That was about the only ways you could communicate with an audience. And then all of these new mechanisms came in, but all of the old ones that we had, there was no way to measure, did it work? And so car companies, you know, the Ford and Chevy and You know, these car companies would just throw millions of dollars and just to throw the money out there. And banks are terrible at that. They're just like, oh, it's almost like an ego thing. And they don't care whether it actually works. And then as we've moved into this model, there's Facebook and YouTube and Pinterest and all these things that you can now track and you can hold Google responsible. Hey, I paid you $100. How many clicks did I get? Or how many purchases? You can actually track, did they do the thing you wanted them to do? That's been a game changer for just the marketing in general of if I'm going to invest, same thing was with the course. If I invest in having you teach me how to do YouTube videos, well, what's the result that I should expect if I actually listen and do the thing? Because a lot of times people invest and then they don't actually do the thing. I've actually heard some stats that only people invest in like a training course and only like 20% of the people who even watch the videos that they paid for. Yeah, 15 to 25%. That's true. And this is just amazing. And a lot of people know that they should act and then they feel satisfied by acting, aka buying. And that's it, you know, and they're like, oh, I did it. Yeah, I bought in. But that's just where it all starts. 
And that's really sad. And this is why I focus more on coaching as well, because what I really notice is that people need to really get the kick in the butt to really do this stuff and implement it. Because even from just watching the lessons, it doesn't make sense, not entertainment. You really need to implement all this stuff. So this is super, super important. What I usually say is the biggest dream and business killer is not the strategies you don't have and all that stuff. It's actually you, yourself, because you are not doing the next step. And so it all starts with you. And this is actually the biggest business killer we don't even see because we always think, oh, I need these strategies and how to run Facebook ads and all that. But this is in a way easy. You just have to do this and that. But to get you to really do this and this, that's the most difficult part. And yeah, really crazy. And the stats and the numbers speak for themselves. It's where everybody's doing courses these days. And I don't have any courses that I've done yet. I mean, someday maybe I will. But I found it interesting when somebody explained it says there's the do-it-yourself model. And you can go figure it out. Or And I even put some of these education programs, you pay your $1,000 or $200, whatever it is, and you get a whole bunch of videos and you have to do it and figure it out yourself. And then they have this next model, it's the done with you. And I really think the success rate on the change that that person's looking or the education to actually implement it, like what you're saying is helping that person, I'll do it with you, I'll hold your hand, but you still got to do it. I'm not doing it for you, it's doing it with you. That model for a lot of people is the most affordable, best investment if you can just look at it as an investment. And then you've got the third model, which is the done for you. And honestly, I feel like if you're trying to learn the new thing, what I've seen is there's people that just don't believe that they can do it themselves. They're like, oh, I'm no good at computers, or I can't do Facebook ads, or I can't play the music that way. They just want to like somehow buy the thing, pretend like they're good enough. And I've seen a lot of the done for you models that aren't as successful as the done with you because that person never really gets to be an expert or learn the thing well enough. I think there's value in learning to do it good enough. Even if you hire it out to somebody down the road, having knowledge about what you've invested in makes the person that's going to do it for you so much more effective because then you can more effectively communicate with them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what I noticed myself as well. And I'm a big fan of really knowing what's going on, which doesn't mean micromanagement. But for example, I was working with an advertiser and I totally trust her. Then I noticed that she didn't implement conversion API, which came out like it was a change inside Facebook and all that stuff. And we were running ads and the performance dropped and all that. But I was totally trusting her because she was the expert. And then I was like, after a while, I just watched a couple of training videos myself. And I was like, hey, wait, we didn't even connect the server. That's so simple, but she didn't do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I really need to know what's going on in my business. Yeah, so it's super, super valuable to know what's going on and to have an understanding as well. If you outsource, if you hire people to help you or people you work with, you should be able to understand what's going on. Otherwise, like flying blind. Well, it's an investment, but I think there's a key thing to investing in anything, whether it's your money, stock market, there's investing responsibly. And if you don't know enough about what your investment's doing, then you probably shouldn't be spending the money on it unless you're just seeing your money go away, right? Absolutely, yeah. Last question I have for you. So what's the best advice you've ever been given? I would start <laughs> with something I learned myself because, for example, when Facebook advertising started and all, all that stuff, I was always pretty skeptical. I saw ads about people wanting to show me how to run Facebook ads. And I thought it's kind of scammy. And I was like, no, I don't believe them. They run ads. I don't trust them and all that stuff. And then I jumped on the Facebook wagon, Facebook ads, like way too late. 
and it was so extremely profitable and successful. And I was like, damn you, man, why were you so skeptical? You know, you thought everyone just wants to get your money and scam you. And just because of that, I lost so much money, believe me. If I would have started Facebook ads when they came out because they were even performing like crazy, would have made so much freaking money and I could have grown my fan base. It could scale it like to the sky. I don't know. But I was too skeptical. I was like, no, it's just like online marketers, all scammers. I don't believe them. I don't buy it. I don't invest in them and all that stuff. And this, looking back right now, this was really one of my biggest learnings and mistakes. And I was so happy to finally got a coach I paid like my first coach for two and a half grand, which was a lot of money back then for me. And I was like, oh my God, but this was so helpful. Like he showed me exactly how to run my business, how to set it all up, how to get more leads. So more fans and all that stuff. It was so worth it. Yeah, it's really be open, especially if you're starting out. There's so much knowledge you don't have. And there are people in business like for 10 years. And they did so many mistakes and they know what works and what doesn't work. They have connections and all that stuff. So it's really a shortcut. Find somebody who's there where you want to be, pay that person to help you. And this is really the fastest way to have success nowadays. You can, of course, try to do it yourself, but I just see it. I have so many applicants for my famous program as well. And they are like, just like noodling around for like years. They don't really have progress and all that stuff there. I don't know, they're desperate and all that stuff. So it's like just crazy. Like if you want to do it, act, learn how to do it properly and then you will get results. Of course, you can try to do it yourself, but then you need to be extremely motivated. You will fail a lot of times, but it's still possible. You have to do all the mistakes yourself and go through it. Still for me, I think it's smarter to really learn from mistakes other people have done for you instead of doing them yourself because making mistakes costs a lot of money and time as well. And yeah, this was one of my personal mistakes, let's say. And this would be the advice for my younger self to just, man, buy a proper coaching program and my music business and my businesses would have been much more successful way earlier. If you would have done that sooner, you'd have a beach in the background behind you, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> On this call. Well, Tobias, it's been super fun chatting with you. I think it's been some really great advice. I hope people really have enjoyed this. I've learned a ton from it. So I appreciate your time today. And if people want to try and learn a little bit more about your fan base stuff or the coaching or any of the other things you've done, your videos for sure, they got to go check out your finger style videos. It will blow your mind what this guy does with his. It's awesome. Where should they go to learn more about you? Yeah, just look for my name on YouTube, Tobias Rauscher. That's a German version, T-O-B-I-S-R-A-U-S-C-H-E-R. There you find my music videos. If you want to learn how to play guitar like this, go to fingerstylezone.com. And if you want to work with me, get some strategies on how to really grow your audience, your fan base and monetize it, go to fanbasepro.io. Awesome. We'll put all those in the show notes so you can just have a simple link as well and make it easy for people to find. So good chatting with you, Tobias. And one of these days, we're going to have to get down to Costa Rica again together and go down a river. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to that. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Hey, it's Jason here, and I hope you've gotten a lot of value out of this episode. Be sure to check out our show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you'd like to support our podcast, there's a few things that you can do to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe... It will help ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Second, if you'll share it with your friends on social media or send it via email or message, it helps us spread the word as well. And third, if you'll leave an honest review, it really helps with the algorithms so that other people can find our podcast. Finding success and fulfillment in the music industry is possible, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.